This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl, and my guest this week is Dr. Christopher Phelps. Christopher is a general dentist at Promenade Center for Dentistry, and he's also an author and Cheldani Method Certified Trainer. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast, Christopher. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yeah. One thing that I ask every single guest at the very beginning is just to get to know you is what's one thing that people might not know about you? Well, uh, first and foremost, because whenever they see my degree, they instantly associate with me as a dentist, right? So one thing they might not know about me is actually I'm an entrepreneur at heart who's actually a pretty good dentist <laughs> by, by secondary trade. You just uh, happen to be a dentist. I just happen to be a pretty good dentist as well. Yeah, that's that's always it's always interesting to see what people's passion is and what their what their uh, professional job is, because sometimes it's different, but sometimes it's the same. Yeah, well, you know, I met a lady named Kathy Colby, K-O-L-B-E, who runs an assessment test program that kind of measures how you're built instinctively. And I remember getting my certification training in Colby and Kathy looking at my four little numbers I had gotten after taking this quiz. And I said, hey, Kathy, I'm Chris. I'm a dentist. Nice to meet you. And, uh, and she said, Chris, I'll stop you right there. You're not a dentist. I was like, mm, pretty sure I'm a dentist. I think I had those <laughs> four years of dental school. It kind of sucked trying to get through that. Yeah. Because no, what, you're, what I mean is your numbers tell me instinctively you're an entrepreneur who's using dentistry as his vehicle. And I was like, ooh, interesting. <laughs> and deep. That was deep. And, and she was right. And she said, uh, you know, I'd be willing to bet you have other businesses outside of your dental practice because that's the definition of an entrepreneur, running multiple businesses. And at the time, I had four dental practices, and, I, and that's what I told her. I said, well, I have four dental offices, so sure, I have multiple businesses. She goes, no, no, I bet you have another business outside of your practices altogether. And that was right after I just started a, a call tracking company called Call Tracker ROI, and I was like, dang, guilty. She's like, see, you can't fight who you are and how you're built. And I was like, yeah. So that was, that was pretty empowering for me. I'm pretty great. Yeah, one other thing that... Tell me, tell me about the, when you, you were a dentist first, but then you transitioned to be a Cialdini trainer. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, outside of Kathy Colby, one of my other big mentors is Robert Cialdini, um, who's the, you know, I call him the godfather of influence and ethical persuasion. Yeah. And, uh, I remember, you know, having some dental practices, like I said, four offices and kind of sold some of my best ones, took over my worst ones and they were struggling and I couldn't put my finger on why. And, and I heard Dr. Cialdini speak, I was like, wow, this guy knows the answers, right? He's speaking to the heart of human behavior, which is a subject that's always interested me. Why do people really do what they do, whether they truly understand it themselves or not in that moment? And yeah, it got me to seek him out. And, and I was fortunate enough to be able to be selected as a potential trainer and spent over a year working with him and his team. And you know, my certification test was basically me giving back the influence presentation back to Dr. Chaldini himself. And so there's nothing back like to the Godfather. Karaoke. Yeah, right. So there's nothing like singing karaoke uh, back to the original artist and you're graded on how well you sing their song. Right. <laughs> no pressure there. So. And 
just to dig into that a little bit deeper, you didn't just take the training. It wasn't like it was an online 30 minute class and you were certified and you get this little uh, thing in the mail. You went to Arizona in the middle of July. What what made you transition say, aha, I need to get this certification and I need to get it now? Yeah. So it was when I heard uh, Dr. Chaldini speak about his six principles of influence and persuasion. And, you know, our brain is a funny little thing. You know, when it has a problem in front of it, if it doesn't feel like it has the capabilities to solve that problem in the moment, it does two magical things with that problem. It ignores the problem or it procrastinates on the problem. You know, I'm going to get to it at some point. And so I had these little fires. Like if the brain doesn't really understand the why behind the problem, then it can't really make moves or, or come up with ideas on what to do about it. And that's kind of where I was stuck. I had these little fires going on in my, the two worst practices I took over, and I didn't know why. I couldn't put my finger on it. But when I heard him speak, one of the six principles in particular was my aha moment where I was like, oh, that one right there. That one is the root cause behind the problems in my practices. So if I can go and learn from the master about not only the rest of them, but that one in particular, that could be a game changer for me in my business. And it was. And, and did you do that alone? I did not. I actually went with, took my operations manager with me. Uh, somebody, because again, trying to absorb all that information and, and going back and trying to implement everything on your own is tough. So I needed somebody who was there to experience it with me and uh, to help me be my implementation manager as well. So you took that information and you implemented that into your business and what happened? So it was kind of interesting, you know, I kind of, I, this is what I like about behavioral science, right? It's not people's guesses about why people do what they do. There's study after study to back up human behavior. And so there's a large predictive value to it. So I, my estimate was, hey, if I do the same kind of things they did in these studies uh, to my patients, my team members, my doctors, then I should see similar results, right? Because it's been tested, it's been proven. And so I kind of went back and used uh, my two practices, my laboratory, if you will, and started experimenting. And lo and behold, you know, when I took over the two worst offices, they were doing about 1.6 million in revenue in total between the two of them. Okay. Uh, and within three years, I had them doing 6 million. So I, I don't know if you know much about dentistry and dental revenue growth, but to get an office to 6 million, especially two offices is not easy to do. And especially in that amount of time, right? So we had a phenomenal rapid amount of growth in a small amount of time by dialing into what people are really using to make their decisions. And we made our strategies of presentation and communication around that. And, and if you could touch on that, what was a high level? What, what made that switch? when you, are you helping people buy? Yeah. So in essence, you know, we, I like to think that, you know, my patients are educated, they're smart people. If I could just present the facts and the data of what I see, that that's enough to move them my direction to say yes to getting their dental treatment or whatever that is. But the reality is, and regardless of what industry that you're in, is that our, our customers are not real experts in our field. They don't really understand it like we do. The truth of the matter is if they really did understand it like we did, if they really knew what we knew was going to happen to them, if they didn't say yes to our proposal, our plan, our treatment, that they stood to end up in a worse position by saying no, most people would prefer to not let that happen to them and would prefer to make it a priority and figure out a way to get it done. So I stopped believing that I had to tell my patients to get stuff done or thinking that the logic of the education of the, the nasty tooth picture I put in front of them was enough to get them to move my direction. And instead, realize that I have to change the what, what I say. And, and I can't expect them to be the dental experts that they, they are, but I do now know what they are tapping into to make their decision. 
So I had to change that verbiage and communication to fit that. Once I did, everything changed. Everybody, more people started saying yes than ever before to something, which is all I wanted. Everybody leaves in better oral health than when they come in. That's my goal. And if they leave doing nothing or saying no, more often than not, they leave in worse health overall. So. Yeah. So still show them the bad pictures of the teeth, but then help them educate themselves. Yeah, it's all about, you know, what Cialdini figured out in his research was it's, it's not really about what you're asking at all, the request you're making. To buy something, to make an appointment, to meet me for this at this place, it really doesn't matter what you're asking for. What sets the stage for a yes, believe it or not, is what you said or did before you got to that moment. And all these little things that add up, that the, I call it the yes-no scales, that weigh down the yes side. Uh, in your favor. And if you didn't do those little things, then the patient or the person has nothing to judge you by. So they have to come up with something. And that's why they usually use price or something like that as their, their judgment tool. And we're letting them control how they compare our price to the things they're spending in their life. And therefore, again, we tend to lose. Yeah. And you touched on it at the very beginning, but he talked about how you cashed out of some of the good locations and continued with some of the bad. Can you talk about a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, there was obviously a lot of reasons I did that. I had some partners at the time, and part of that was to separate from them. And for me, when I had the four offices, and I'm doing five days of clinical dentistry, and I'm running the businesses, and you know, I'm a, I love marketing and promotions. So I'm doing all the marketing and spearheading that for the practices. I didn't have a lot of margin of free time. In fact, I had realized that I had almost trapped myself in my own business. And mm. instead of being a true business owner, a true entrepreneur, I was a glorified worker in my own business. And I, I knew I had to make some drastic changes if I didn't want that path to be solidified. And I knew that was not going to be me for the long run. So I made some sacrifices by, by getting rid of the best ones. But I felt like if I could get back to doing it my way and, you know, going from a reactive mindset and how I did things prior, meaning when a fire came up, then I dealt with it, to getting more to a proactive mindset. So trying to strategically take time out of my crazy day to plan and, and, and make plans and, and take action towards my businesses that I felt like I could do with the, the two offices more than I did with the four or at least the same amount. And that's what I was able to prove. And that sounds crazy. It does. But, but what were the results and, and what did you do with those bad locations? So it was all kinds of things, you know, you know, just from a marketing standpoint, you know, we did not answer 224 new patient phone calls a month from marketing sources. Didn't even pick up the phone. And if my team did answer the phone, we only made an appointment 24% of the time. I mean, these are people calling, wanting an appointment, and we can't make an appointment. <laughs> and then there was, of course, the no-show rate. Maybe they make an appointment, but we didn't influence them to show. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time focusing on that problem, uh, the communication piece. You know, They can come in, and you can spend all the money in the world to put somebody in front of you, but if they don't say yes, it's still a wasted expense. So trying to influence my team and my other doctors on, like we said, what are these people really using to, to, to say yes uh, and to make their decision? And how do we align our messages and communication to those areas? Uh, the, the better we got at that, the better the results we saw and the faster the growth we had. Yeah, you mentioned, you just talked about the influencing employees. What's the difference between influencing and telling? Yeah, that's a great question. So I love old adages because they speak to human behavior, even to this day, right? Everything changes, but some, believe it or not, nothing changes. <laughs> you might've heard it said that way as well. And that's what I mean. Like there's certain aspects of human behavior you can expect to continue to see recurring over time. And the old adage I like is that when the cat's away, the mice will play. You ever heard that one? I have. Right. So what that implies is when the cat's there, the threat is there, the mice do what they're supposed to. 
they fall in line, they, they follow orders, whatever it is. But when the threat, the stimulus is gone, the mice go back to doing it their own way. And that's really the difference between telling somebody to do something versus influencing them to do something. Okay, when you tell somebody, it's almost like coercion, it's force, it's intimidation. They yeah. kind of feel backed into a corner or in essence, they really don't feel like they have a choice is really what it's about. Okay, when they're told, that's it, you got to do it or else. Okay, now truthfully, maybe they have a choice, but it's not a good one. Do it or die, for instance, in the, as far as the cat example. Versus when you influence and persuade someone, okay, that person receives a message in some format. So they hear it, they see it, they read it that message that they absorbed changes their thinking. It changes their perspective on the topic. Changing the perspective changes their thinking and that's what changes their behavior. So when the cat's away, the threat's away, the mice don't play. They keep doing the behavior, right? They stay true to it. Why? Because they chose to change their thinking and perspective. Nobody forced them to. There was no sign that said you had to do this. Nobody told them to do it, okay? So when I got out of telling my people to do stuff and stop having to micromanage them, and get them involved with the process and influence them to get more stuff that they chose to do along the way, they were more committed to the process and we got more done as a result. And that was another big secret for me that helped free me up. So I didn't have to be involved with the day-to-day activities anymore to micromanage them because they're people. I can trust them to empower them to do their thing and get the job done on my behalf. So I understand that. I understand that they have the ability to do what they want to do now because you give them a choice. How much does communication and clarity come into play? It's huge, you know, and it's not only giving them a choice, but it's also, I kind of think of it like bowling, right? Um, we're picture we're on a bowling lane right now. And so I feel like my job as a leader of the organization is that I'm going to pick the lane we're on. <laughs> I'm going to set the pins up, meaning I know where the goal is I want to get us to, but how we get to the pins and how many we knock down, is totally up to my team, okay? So I'm gonna give them choices and involve them along the process. Do we use the bumper guards along the way to keep us on the path or do we not? Uh, I don't care what size ball you use. Is it an eight pound? Is it a 10 pound? Is it a 13 pound? You use whatever ball you want. You wanna put spin on it? You wanna throw it flat? I don't care. You wanna throw it quick? You wanna throw it hard? You wanna throw it grandma style, like two-handed? <laughs> up to you, okay? As long as we're all making progress towards the goal and we're doing it together, and they have a hand of being involved with that decision-making along the way on defining how they get down the lane. That's where I found was the big secret that not only did I influence them to start that, but once they were involved and they got to throw the ball their own way, progress was made. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, How do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. got to my goals a lot faster than when I kept trying to push them tooth and nail and tell them how to do that, how to get there. Yeah. And, and that's just not in, in a dental practice that is in every single industry across the board. It is. I think that principle applies to any, any business, anywhere where you've got people under you and, and 
you're all working towards a larger goal. Yeah. So how do you improve patient experience? That's a good question. Now, you know, for a dental setting, it's tough because there's already a negative stigma, right? Nobody likes going to the dentist. Um, so trying to overcome that expectation is key. And in essence, you know, what we always try to do is when focusing on that experience is to make sure that people like us and they know more importantly, not only that, uh, that we hope that they like us, but we want them to know first and foremost that we like them. Okay. So we want to make sure we built that liking principle from Dr. Cialdini and there's got to be trust as well. So those are two big things we focus on in our patient experience. They like us and they trust us, then they're more likely than ever to move forward with whatever, whatever recommendations that we make. And because we're giving them choices along the path in their treatment, they feel like they're a part of their treatment presentation. They feel like they're a part of their overall health and the decisions that they're making. Instead of the old days, like my grandmother's generation, when the doctor said you did it, I mean, there was no question that you just did it, right? Uh, but times have changed and sometimes things do change over time. So that's a big one. So getting them involved with the process, but explaining it in a way that they can actually make a decision without being a dental expert, I think is a big, big reason why. Do you think that when people are afraid to go to the dentist is obviously the, the, there's the, the fear of the unknown, or, uh, maybe it's has to do with, uh, my guess it has something to do with the, the relationship. Like you just mentioned, does somebody like you and do they trust you and do they have what the best interest in mind for that patient yes do you feel that too from not obviously not your location because you you guys are are doing it the right way but in general uh, definitely you know you know there's a lot of reasons and five main reasons why people say no to us and uncertainty is a big one right if there's any kind of questions or doubt in people's mind they don't say yes they don't move forward and because of their past experiences, because of, you know, this whole idea of the authority, right? That's one of Dr. Chaldini's principles. We look to credible, trustworthy authorities to tell us what we should do because we don't have time to be an expert in everything, right? So we need these authorities' opinions. But what the public has learned is that we can't always trust the authorities' opinion. I mean, I could, you can pull up old advertisements from the 50s and 60s where the doctors were recommending smoking and saying, this is a good thing. Right? <laughs> and you're like, uh, no. <laughs> So the, the authorities' opinion has kind of uh, been tarnished over the years. Look at the, you know, our COVID situation right now. They can't, we can't even get a consensus of authorities today. Yeah. On what they're doing. So when the experts can't even agree, it really confuses people, and they don't know what to do. So, yeah, I think this, this lack of trust is a big thing, and, and we have to get back to building that because trust is authority. It's part of the authority principle. Um, if they don't trust you, they're not going to say yes. There's always that doubt and trust you got to overcome. And part of it also comes from not overwhelming them with choices. So it's like a weird paradox. Uh, you know, there's a good book called The Paradox of Choice that kind of defines that. So while people need a choice or they're not really committed, right, they were told to do it. So they need at least two options. The paradox is the more choices they have, the less likely they are to pick any of them because they can't tell the difference anymore. They lose the ability to differentiate the options. And again, if they can't tell the difference, they don't say yes, they're uncertain. So it's this balance of, yeah, we got to give them choices, but not too many and try to somehow funnel them down to one thing. It's always a challenge. That's so interesting. I can, I think we can continue on this podcast for another two days about, about just those, those two things right there. But what would you tell yourself 
if you could go back 20 years professionally, what would you go back and tell yourself to, to, Hey, watch out for this or keep an eye on this or do this first. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, you know, two, two, I'd probably tell myself two key things. First, I would tell myself that, you know, there's really uh, two types of entrepreneurs as far as personalities and their drivers that I've found out there. Uh, there's lifestyle entrepreneurs and then there's achieving entrepreneurs. Lifestyle meaning, and there's no plus or minus for either one. It's just, it is what you are, right? So lifestyles are those who change, adapt, innovate until they have plenty of free time of money, of uh, time of, you know, they have their expenses recovered. They have more than enough to support whatever lifestyle they want and work like balance. Okay. Once they reach that, it's like uh, playing basketball. They stop playing to win and they change their game to playing not to lose. Right. And they only change, adapt and innovate if their lifestyle is threatened. These are the people that retirement is in their future and they can enjoy a retirement setting. Uh, you know, and there's pros and cons for both of them on, you know, in, in this whole category. On the flip side, you got the achieving entrepreneurs, which I realize I more fall into. And, you know, for the achieving ones, it's not really about the money per se, because uh, we usually get that fairly early, but it's really more about the next goal, the next thing to achieve, the next mountain to climb, the next project to complete, the next thing to scratch off our list. And so I know now about me that there is no retirement in my future. I will always be working on something, <laughs> always be building a business or, you know, working on some project or something to that effect. Again, the blessing and the curse uh, yeah. for both sides. So I kind of tell myself early on who I was because the plans I was making early on were for somebody who is a lifestyle. And sometimes you don't know until you get to your lifestyle and it's not enough and you're still wanting more. That's really how you really define which one you are. Okay. When you get to that lifestyle and you go, hey, I'm good, then there you are. Versus when you get there and you're still itching to do something else. And you'll throw the other stuff away to do something else. And you're like, okay, maybe I might be more on the achieving side. So I would have made some plans differently as far as that went. And the second thing I would have told myself is the define the power of a proactive mindset. You know, like I said, I spent my first seven years in practice growing from one location to four, 10 times in the revenue of the practice I started with all by being reactive. Just as it came up, it was a problem to solve and we dealt with it and we moved past it. Uh, and we had a lot of success doing that, but you know, it was growth for growth's sake versus when I, and there's a lot of inefficiency in that too, by the way. Okay. Cause you don't have enough time to focus on anything versus when I sold the two best and moved over to the, the two worst ones. And I went to a proactive mindset, taking dedicated time out to think about my business and am I on pace to hit my goals? What barriers do I have? What am I going to do about it? Getting my team involved, training them. Then I started maximizing capacity. Okay. And you know, the, the, the fewer offices I got over time and kept downsizing them, the more money I got, the more free time I had, which was ultimately I realized what my main goal was to get. So the power of being proactive and whatever you're going to do, uh, it's worth it. And, and, and not trying to take on too many projects at once as a, the, I love Parks and Recreation, if you've watched that TV show. And the, the immortal Ron Swanson uh, had one of my favorite quotes when he said to a guy named Andy, he's like, Andy, you know, don't half-ass two things, son. Just whole-ass one thing. <laughs> <laughs> so and stop trying to split your focus on too many things and just dial into the ones you're the most passionate about and put everything you got into that. Limit 
narrow your focus is, would probably be the third thing I would tell myself. Keep your focus narrowed on what you're most engaged with because that's what you're going to enjoy. That's what you're going to have the most productivity of, out of and it'll never be work. That is some sound advice. I, I thought for sure there was going to be some type of meat quote when it came to Ron Swanson. So maybe that's <laughs> on the next podcast. Yeah, I like that one. And when he, the waitress brings him like salad and stuff, he says, ma'am, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid you've brought me the food my food eats. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely something I would say to a waitress. <laughs> so I wrap up every podcast with two questions. And the first question is, is what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second question, question is, is if you could leave a note to all customer service and customer experience professionals, it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8am. What would it say? Yeah, good questions. So the book, I'd say, you know, if you're looking at the book that's influenced me the most in my career, it's definitely Dr. Cialdini's original book, Influence the Science and Practice. Um, it's, it's the foundation of his research. It's 36 years old. It's in its fifth edition. Uh, I mean, it's still, you know, Warren Buffett listed as one of his top business books of all time. Harvard Business Review listed as number one in communication. I mean, it's more relevant today than it's ever been. Okay. So if you haven't read that one, you got to read Influence. Re more recently, I'd say actually his latest book, Presuasion, is probably having the biggest influence on me and my world because Presuasion, is, believe it or not, is all about mindsets, whether you realize it or not. And mindsets, I did not realize how powerful they are because mindsets are fickle little things. They're always changing. Right. And um, how we define it, a mindset from a behavioral science standpoint is it's all about where you are in the moment you're about to make a decision. But where you are in that moment is about who you are in that moment and who you are in that moment is defined by several things. It's shaped by the environment you're in. So the sights, the sounds, the smells you're exposed to can shape your mindset. Like, you know, walking into a room and smelling fresh baked chocolate chip cookies like mom used to make or grandma might put you in a mindset of home kind of thing. It's about where you are cognitively, like what are your, your thoughts dwelling on? Positive, negative, right? Can, can create mindsets. But it's also about where you are emotionally in that moment as well can affect your mindset. So I would say this, whether you realize it or not, your, your customer or your potential customer, in my case, a potential patient or patient, before they get in front of you, they're coming in with a mindset already established, okay? Whether you realize it or not. And most of the time, the mindset they're in doesn't fall in line with what you're going to be talking about. In fact, it's probably competing with what you're going to be talking about. And if it's competing with what you're talking about, then the door to a yes has already been shut before you even get started. And so it's a lot harder to influence them to open that door back up, especially when you didn't even realize the door was closed. Okay. So mindsets are huge and play a, a big part in our decision-making process and even setting the stage for a potential yes. Uh, so Chaldini's book, Presuasion, kind of digs into that a little bit and the trainings we do on Presuasion go and how do we take whatever mindset they're coming in with and refocus them back on a mindset that falls in line more favorably to what we want to talk about. Uh, we call it priming the pump for a yes. So they're already in the mindset to want to say yes to our request before they ever get in front of us. Still not a guarantee, but now at least the door to a yes is open and now you got a chance. And that's all I want. More chances, more things for the yes side of that scales that we talked about earlier to set the stage. I love that. What advice would I give customer service agents today? Uh, you know, in dentistry, and I see this in most other industries, uh, the liking principle is one of the most overlooked ones, okay? Because we're too in a hurry to get to the end result, whatever that is. 
And what liking is about is about, again, letting the other person know that you like them. Okay, finding connections, finding commonality, similarities between you guys. So like, you know, one of my businesses I started is I have a dental call center, right? So we, we handle new patient calls for dental offices all over the country. And my agents have been trained in this liking principle so that, you know, they're talking to a potential new patient and they hear like a dog barking in the background and my agent likes dogs or they have a dog, then they know to not hide that fact, but bring it up and say, hey, before we get into this, hey, is that a dog barking in the background? Oh, cool. What kind of dog is it? I have a dog. Tell me about your dog. So even just finding one simple connection like that between you and the other side and bringing it to the surface, I can show you study after study that shows you it exponentially increases your success rates of whatever you're going to ask for next, right? So take the time to build that relationship using that liking principle, okay? Even if you think it's a silly connection, you know, uh, you know, my name is Chris and I'm talking to Christopher. Hey, you're Chris. I'm Chris. We're Chris's. That's cool. Uh, even if the names are similar, like even if the, the commonality is in the same ballpark, you know, if you can find a connection with them, don't hide it, bring it up. Okay. And if there's something you genuinely like about that person. Again, don't hide it, bring it to the surface because we like those who like us and tell us that they like us. We like praise. We like flattery. Uh, so leverage those two, man, find a connection and, and find something in, you can praise about them if possible, if it's genuine. Uh, and automatically that's going to set the stage for a, a much better customer service experience than any other phone call they've had. That's, that's, uh, it's very much overlooked, but I appreciate you mentioning it because it's, it's, it's needed to be talked about again. Yes. Like I said, it's like, it's like people don't understand the power of it and therefore, or the why behind it's important. And therefore it's, they're not consistent in using it. Okay. But those, uh, you look at the best of the best salespeople out there, you know, Dale Carnegie's book is, is literally built on the liking principle <laughs> and, and how to like turn that thing to 11 in essence. Uh, but you got to get more consistent with it. And if you do that, you will stand out amongst your peers. Those are your colleagues you're working with who are not using it and tapping into it. Yeah. Let my listeners know how about how, how they can get a hold of you and, and follow your stuff. Yeah, you know, obviously I'm on Facebook and, you know, Christopher Phelps, look for the guy drinking a glass of wine. Uh, that's the profile you want. Uh, I do like a good glass. Uh, Instagram, um, Christopher Phelps. Uh, you can email me at chris at drphelpshelps.com. Uh, that was the way I could get people to remember how to spell my name. You just put P in front of helps and drphelpshelps.com. Uh, you can check that out um, as well. So. That is great. Dr. Christopher Phelps, thank you so much for joining the Press One for Nick podcast. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.